morning to each of you this morning. Um, I want to say right up front, this is a very stretching experience for me. Um, I'm feeling very vulnerable. Um, a lot of you know me well. You know my weaknesses. You know, yeah. So I just want to say right up front on this topic of simple hospitality, there's a lot of things that I know up here in my head, and, and I want to do it here in my heart, but I don't always get it done. So I just wanted to do that little disclaimer, and think in case you think that here's this lady that has it all together, we'll just chalk that one off. It's, it's not there. Um, so, and also I want to relate that I asked the sisters from my congregation for tips, hindrances, thoughts, whatever. And they came through real well, so not everything here in my talk this morning is original with me, but anyway, and I probably won't indicate every time when it's not original with me, so yeah, just bear with me on that. So hospitality, what is hospitality? It's the first thing we need to think about. I looked it up in Strong's, and it was a very simple definition is simply the love of strangers. Um, and you know, from this definition, I think that we can derive that true biblical hospitality is generally given to those who will never be able to pay us back. And, but we all know that hospitality is extended and can be applied to people that we know. And you know, if we don't love the people and extend hospitality to the people we know, we're not even going to be able to extend hospitality to the stranger. So I also looked up the definition in the dictionary, and Webster, he says that hospitality is the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. And some synonyms of hospitality could include warmth, friendliness, comfort, love, and safety. It's really a pleasant word, and it's a good word to think on and to study on. The word hospitality, or a form of the word, is mentioned four times in the Bible as follows. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version this morning. The first one is found in Romans 12, 10 to 13. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And then in 1 Timothy 3.2, it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Titus 1.7 and 8. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not a self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Then 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. And above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another 
without grumbling. So is hospitality optional for the Christian? From these scriptures, I think we derive absolutely not. It's a command. Um, And I feel that for the born-again Christian who is sold out to God, hospitality will naturally just flow, maybe without you even knowing it, what you're doing. It's just a way of life. It is not something that we schedule. It is any act of service to whomever God brings into our life at any given time. Now, this is a quote from one of the ladies in our congregation here. Hospitality is focusing on the people around me, not just guests or when I am hosting, but as a way of life. It makes my demeanor hospitable. It means people will speak to me in the grocery store, for instance, because I'm approachable. And that, too, is a form of hospitality. So does hospitality look the same for everybody? No. Um, And I want to think about a couple of examples now of hospitality that was extended, um, examples from the Bible. And I'm not going to nearly touch it all. As I studied, I realized that the Bible is just full of it. It's just full. But anyway, I'll touch on a couple. And I thought about... Abraham and Sarah, when the strangers came to the birth of their son that was going to happen. And it was interesting to me as I read that account to note a couple things. Um, First of all, I believe Abraham was genuinely happy to see strangers. I think he was just, and I, I just think he gave his best. And if you think about the setting there, he was sitting at his tent door. Sarah was inside doing her thing. And these strangers showed up. And it was, it's notable to note that he ran to meet them. He didn't just amble out there. He just, he ran to meet them. Um, and he recognized their immediate need. They needed a drink of water and a shade tree. I figure it was hot and dry. I don't know, but I would imagine that. Um, so he took care of that first. And next, he noticed their need of food. So what did he do? Once again, he hastened to the tent, it says, and he told his wife to make bread. What if she would have said, I don't have time. This messes up my schedule. They don't need bread. But no, I don't believe she did. It doesn't say she made it, but it doesn't say she didn't make it, so I'm assuming she did. Um, And I believe Abraham could trust her in this act of hospitality. and So it said, then he ran out to the herd to pick out a calf and told a young man to butcher it. And then after the food was prepared, what did he do? It says, he prepared the food, gave it to the strangers, and stood. He stopped. It was time to stop and spend time with the strangers that had come. So Abraham recognized their initial physical needs. He took care of them as fast as he could, but then he stopped, and he stood with them, and he listened to them, and he was blessed because of that visit. Another person I thought about was Rebecca. Um, I think we know the story there, the unusual story of this assignment that Eliezer, who was Abraham's oldest slave, had. He was to go to a 
different country and pick out a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And that would have been a big job. That would have been an overwhelming job. So, but he did what we all need to do when we're overwhelmed. He prayed. He prayed that God would give him a sign. And he said, you know, Lord, just whoever is the right one for Isaac, let her not only give me a drink, but let her offer to water my camels also. And we know that that's exactly what happened with Rebecca. And as I was thinking about Rebecca, I thought about, I feel like in that time, it was normal to offer the stranger a drink. You know, she's coming out to the well, she has her whatever she used to dip down in there and get the water. It would have been a normal thing to have offered a stranger a drink. But the account says that she went ahead and offered to water the camels. And I looked into that a little bit more. Eliezer took 10 camels with him. And each camel, when they're thirsty, can drink up to 20 gallons of water. So this was no small offer to offer to dip out 200 gallons of water. I don't know if that's how much she did or not. but And I guess the lesson that I see here for us today, she was working, God was working in her heart. And she recognized it and she followed God's leading. But also, I like to think that she went beyond the call of duty, over and beyond to show hospitality to this stranger. And her life was so blessed. Um, it changed the course of history, just this simple, this simple act. Then I thought of Ruth. Ruth was a caregiver. I don't know if you ever thought of her in this respect or not, but Ruth made a deliberate choice to leave the comforts, the cultures, her husband's burial plot, and her immediate family just to go to a strange country and to be a caregiver for her mother-in-law, of all things. And why was she able to accomplish this? I believe it was because Naomi's God had become her God, and she was willing to serve in whatever capacity that he directed her in. And you know, after they reached, they got back to Bethlehem, she labored intensely for her mother-in-law. It was hard work gathering wheat and providing for her. And then, but then things happened, and she got married, and she had a little boy, and seemed like life moved on for Ruth. And I guess I question a little bit, what would it have been like if she would have said, okay, Naomi, been nice knowing you. I have a husband and son to take care of. I have all, everything on my plate I can handle. You're gonna have to find somebody else, some other family or somebody to take care of you. But she was just a beautiful example of just keeping on over and beyond. Ruth 4, 13 to 16 says, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. Okay, let me catch this. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi, the Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Seems like this child kind of became Naomi's. And then a step further, also the neighbor women 
gave him a name. Doesn't sound like Ruth was even able to name her little baby boy. The, also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So I believe that Ruth found joy when she submitted her life to God and to taking care of her mother-in-law. And the result of this submission caused her to reach out in love, care, and obedience to her mother-in-law. And she was able to bring much comfort to a woman who had experienced deep grief and sorrow in her life. So what about us today? Are we happy? Are we a happy, cheerful, loving, hardworking caregiver for our family? Um, it doesn't matter if you have small children or maybe are taking care of your elderly parents or grandparents or anybody in between. We need to recognize that they are God's gift to us. And he will bless you as you serve him in this way. Ruth, like us today, could not see into the future. And I don't think she realized that God was using her to bring forth a son who would be the grandfather of David and of the lineage of Christ. Neither can we see into the future. But we, like Ruth, can put our lives into being a caregiver for our family. God wants us to be faithful where he has placed us right now. This act of faithfulness will impact his kingdom forever, just as Ruth's faithfulness impacted the Israelite kingdom. And then I thought of Abigail. The scripture says that she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful, and she was married to a rich man. If we could stop right there, it sounds pretty good. But the next sentence changes the whole story. She was married to a rich man, Nabal, who was rough and evil in his doings, the Bible says. She was in a terribly hard situation in her life. So when David asks for physical provision for his ar army in return for the benevolence that had been shown to Nabal's shepherds, what was Nabal's reaction? Absolutely not. And when Abigail found this out, that Nabal had rejected David's request for benevolence, what did she do? Did she cower down or did she jump to action? She did. She jumped to action and she literally fed an army. Um, and in so doing, she saved her household, including her evil husband. Um, some lessons we can learn here. Obviously, she was a very good manager. I don't know how many of us that just like that could feed an army. But she had it down pat. And I'm sure she had servants and people that helped her. But I believe she was a good manager of her household. And she was ready to extend hospitality to David and his army. And in so doing, her whole household was saved. So what about women today who may be in an unfortunate marriage situation? family situation, whatever. Can she still manage her home and care for her family? You know, I believe that Abigail did the best she could under the circumstances that she was living in. And I believe that God requires no less of us. Um, some of the most beautiful ladies of character that I know personally are ladies who are in an unfortunate home or a marriage situation that is less than ideal but are still faithful to God and living for him. Remember, 
your acts of caring for your family and reaching out to others may be to the salvation of your family. Then we jump here to the New Testament. I thought about Elizabeth. Elizabeth reached out and gave a home to Mary. After the angel had given the message to Mary that she was to bear the Christ child, it says that Mary immediately arose and went with haste to her relative Elizabeth's house. Somehow she knew that that would be a safe place for her to go. Um, when Mary entered her house, the miracle baby that Elizabeth was carrying leaped in her womb. And then immediately the women engaged in Holy Ghost-filled con conversation. And Mary stayed at her home for three months. And you know, Elizabeth was prepared spiritually to reach out to this young lady who came to her doorstep. She didn't just immediately become spiritual. This was an ongoing practice in her life. And she lovingly took her into her home for an extended time. So what can we learn? We need to stay filled spiritually also. So when that person arrives at your door who needs spiritual encouragement, you are ready. Most likely, if you reach out and minister to them, you, like Elizabeth, will be encouraged with their testimony too. And you know, I've thought about this too in relating to us today. When someone gives you a call or a message, if they want to spend some time with you and just talk, make it happen. Don't put it off. Just make it happen. See, it takes humility to admit that you need someone to help you and we need to be ready and available when that need arises. God has ways of blessing you as much as that person you're attempting to help. And then, of course, we have to talk about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So what about them? The scripture does not indicate that they were married. It seems that they were sisters and a brother who lived together in the same home. But they reached out to our Lord, who himself had said that he had nowhere to lay his head. But for some reason, I feel that Jesus maybe felt that the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha was a place that he felt at home and comforted. And I feel like they knew each other well. And these siblings all had different personalities and they express their love to Jesus in totally different ways. And I want to draw us into some thoughts about this family and how they and Jesus related to each other. Um, talking about Lazarus, I think he was Jesus' dear friend. And I also know that he was a friend of the disciples. In John eleven five, Jesus said, yeah, Jesus said, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John 11b, and after that he said to them, his disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. I believe he was a true friend of Jesus and the disciples. And then over the time when Lazarus was in the tomb, Jesus wept over his, wept over his death. And I believe that maybe it was for his in his humanity, his own short-term grief, even though he knew that it was going to be very short-term. But I also believe that Jesus recognized that the sisters and the friends who were left behind and 
were grieving, and he grieved with them. And I think that's beautiful. So I guess with Lazarus, the scriptures do not indicate specific things that Lazarus actually did for Jesus. Um, but I just believe that he was that certain friend that Jesus could count on to be there for him and support him. No doubt, Lazarus prov provided monetarily also for his sisters so they in turn could provide Jesus with his physical needs. And then we come to Mary. She is the model of a perfect hostess. She had her priorities in impeccable order. They were perfect. Jesus was first, there was no doubt. She sat at his feet and she learned of him. And then we have Martha. She was the planner, the doer, the organizer. She was the one who knew how to get things done. And Luke 10 is where the story that we know so well and how that Jesus and his disciples showed up at Martha's house for supper. And you know, 13 men plus is a lot of men to feed. It's, it's a lot of work. And Martha was overwhelmed. And she told Jesus, just make Mary help me. I need help. And, and we get that. We understand that. Um, I think if we didn't understand that, we wouldn't have to have this talk this morning. <laughs> um, so Martha didn't do everything wrong. What she did right was she went to Jesus with her problems. That was perfectly the right thing to do. But where she overstepped is when she told Jesus how to fix her problems. And we know the story there where Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you fill in the blanks. Um, she did, Jesus just simply reminded Martha where her priorities needed to be. Martha was not wrong to make food for the men for her priorities were in the wrong place. But you know, I believe that Martha was teachable and learned her lesson. I think they all did that day. Because the day before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Bible says in John 12, 1 to 3, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Everyone made supper. Martha served supper. Lazarus sat with Jesus, and Mary anointed his feet. All three were practicing hospitality in a way that brought honor to Jesus. And I believe that there's no doubt that Jesus was comforted and refreshed as he spent time with them. Then I thought of Dorcas. Dorcas was a seamstress. Um, the Bible doesn't say a lot about Dorcas, but in Acts 9, 36 to 42, it reads as follows. At Joppa, and Joppa was a Mediterranean sea coastal town that housed many widows of sailors lost at sea. 
So there were many widows and orphans there. So at Joppa, there was a certain disciple. And from what I gather, this is one of the first times that a woman was named as a disciple, Jesus, named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she, she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes when she saw Peter and sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So I'm sure in a group this size, there are people here that cannot sew, and that is okay. Don't feel bad, that's okay. I enjoy sewing, but not everybody does, and that's, that's okay. But you know, a vast majority of us Mennonite ladies do know how to sew, and it is a blessing that we have been taught, taught that art. And I don't even think we realize the blessing that it is to know how to sew. So I challenge you today, are we using our sewing abilities to show hospitality to the needy like Dorcas did? You know, because of her reaching out to the needy, it says here, and it became known, well, I know it was because she was raised from the dead, but still her life and this testimony, it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. Um, you know, we have sewing circles. And I have not been as faithful in the past at Sewing Circle as I wish I would have been because Sewing Circle is really a blessing. It's very fulfilling to get together with ladies who are working together collectively to help the, help the needy. And, you know, maybe, maybe if you can't sew, maybe you can still come. I, I just bet you can tie a knot. You know, you're probably not a comfort. You can probably, I don't know. You can probably run a pair of scissors. Be able just to read to the children. Just, just come. It's, it's fun and it, and it's good. And we have older ladies, including widows here in our congregation, and I'm sure many others, that are just peeling out hundreds of comforts a year for CAM. And these comforts are sent to other countries, and people. It's making people question. Well, what's Christianity? What's behind all this? What's making people do this? And they are seeking answers to this as to what Christianity is. It's a huge ministry. And we might feel like it's just small, but I just really want to bless you ladies who sow for the needy. In my opinion, it's one of the greatest acts that we ladies can do from our homes or collectively to show hospitality in ways that we could never do otherwise. Only time will tell 
But maybe like Dorcas, many will believe in the Lord because of our efforts. And then I thought of Lydia. She was a lady who was a seller of purple, which indicates wealth. Um, commentators mentioned that she probably had a big house that can ac accommodate many guests and servants to meet their needs. It seems like she had it all together. She was living the life. But then she comes in contact with Paul and what happens. It says here, now a certain woman from Acts 16, 14 to 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she and her household, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I read somewhere else that they believe that her house became the local meeting place for the believers. Um, it's, it was an act of hospitality that affected many generations. And I also thought of Aquila and Priscilla. And they were another couple who opened their home for a place of lodging for Paul. And they enjoyed the same occupation. And it says in Acts 18 that Paul stayed with them and worked for them in the tent making business. And then later it says they left their home and traveled with Paul. What did Paul have to say about them later? In Romans 16, three to five, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So I think they reached out and their house too was, was open. Um, Aquila and Priscilla are always mentioned together in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that, never separately. What does that say? We need to be together in this with our husbands if we can. So Aquila, Priscilla, and Lydia, and many other believers in the New Testament opened their homes for the work of the church. And they literally risked their necks, as the Bible said. It was a time of persecution. It was not a pleasant time to have church in your home. So how are we doing? Is our home open? Um, what about small groups, youth groups, committee meetings, whatever? Is your home open for the work of the church? Um, I had to think of a semi more modern day story and I think I'm gonna share it with you now. Thought about calling my sisters and getting a more adult view of this story but I decided no, I'm keeping it from my perspective. When I was a little girl, I don't know how old I would have been, eight, nine, seven, six, somewhere in there. It seemed like that the furnace at Raleigh Springs had a lot of trouble. And there was more than once that my parents got a call on Sunday morning with not too much warning and said, can the congregation come to your house for church? And I remember it happening. And, you know, I loved it. I was this little child and it was a party. In fact, 
And this is what I never confessed to anybody. I loved it so much, I prayed that the Raleigh Springs heater would not work. <laughs> but to my perspective, it was a party. I mean, my friends coming to my house, and when church was over, we'd go outside and play with kitties, and, and it was great. But you know, looking at it now, at my age, that was a lot. The Sunday schools were held in the bedrooms. Um, the pulpit was the island in the kitchen. I can just see it happening. And you have about this much time to get ready for it. But I think that's a true modern day example, a tribute to my parents for opening up their home. Now, I don't know what my older sister's perspectives would be interesting. <laughs> you can ask them later. <laughs> so, you know, these examples that we talked about from the Bible, they created waves and that has impacted history for generation, including us today. Hospitality has a snowball effect and goes way beyond what we even think. And um, I had to think, back in 2016, I ended up in the hospital diagnosed with an MS attack. While I was in there, I turned 40. And Literally, I believe that the florist shops of Harrisonburg must have been emptied out. My room was filled with flowers. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Anyway, a couple weeks, or maybe it was a couple months or so after that experience, Philip and I went to visit someone in the hospital, same floor, different wing. And I told him after we were done visiting, I said, eh, I'm going to truck down here to where I was a patient and just see if I recognize any of the nurses. I walked down there, and I got to the nurse's station, and I recognized the nurse right away. And she looked at me, and all of a sudden, this look came across her face, and she said, I recognize you. You are the flower lady. <laughs> she said, I have never in my life seen so many visitors and so many flowers. And she said, well, we could smell them out here in the hall, and we literally had nurses coming from other spots at the hospital to see your room. And I just had to think, that was a snowball effect. I, there's no doubt in my mind that there was nobody that day brought me a bouquet of flowers and said, boy, I sure hope this touches the nurses. I don't think they even thought that, but it went so far beyond blessing me and my family. So you never know what's your act of hospitality, how far it will spread. So now I have two stories to read, um, modern day examples of hospitality. The first one here is written by Marietta Shank, and it is written about Patrick and Bethany Heatwell, who are serving in Miami, Florida. I'm gonna read just part of it here. We sat in a circle on the front porch as the Miami breezes gently blew in our faces. The youngest member of the group, a 12-year-old, was perched on the broad cement wall. The oldest relaxed his 70-year-old body in a comfortable chair. Palms waved their fronds against the sky as, a, as pleasant conversation flitted back and forth. When a neighbor stepped outside to walk to the street, the man of the house greeted him warmly in Spanish. The young man of 14 brought us each a cold tropical mango and strawberry smoothie that he had whipped up. He also made one for the neighbor. Why did I feel relaxed? 
and at home as I sat on that porch. This was the first day I had ever been to this place. The simple supper we had eaten, the less than ideal kitchen, the greeting of the neighbor, the smoothies, all seemed to prove that these people valued other people above themselves. We were experiencing hospitality at its warmth. To my door, what is my response? Next story. It seemed like such a nice idea. I was going right past. My relative spent her days alone. I hadn't seen her since when. So I stopped, pulling into the driveway and knocking on the door. The door opens. Hi, I say. Hi, she says, surprised and confusion written on her face. I step in the door, gingerly standing on her rug. We exchanged pleasantries as she studied me, perplexed. Finally, unable to contain it any longer, she blurted out, well, what do you want? I was shocked, speechless. What did I want? Hmm, what did I want? I hadn't come to borrow a cup of flour. I wasn't returning a book or a pattern. I was completely empty-handed. No gift of cookies or flowers. I had no special message to deliver. So, what did I want? Really want? I knew what I wanted, but how could I tell her? Could I dare say I just stopped by for some love and attention? That I just wanted her to listen to my chatter to make me feel special and worth her time? I didn't need a single thing at all. All I wanted was warmth and friendship, a little bit of her time. My mind snapped back to the present. She was still standing there studying me, perplexed and waiting. No, I decided, I can't tell her. Uh, I just stammered, uh, I was just going by. Thought I'd say hi. I guess I really need to be going. Two different stories, very different endings. Remember that people probably will not remember what they ate or what they saw at your house, but they will remember how you made them feel. So this next part of my talk here, I didn't know how to title it, so for my own notes, I put practical shoe leather ramblings, parentheses, ideas from the congregation. So let's go. I'm sure when we think of hospitality, we automatically think of having company over. That's natural, that's normal, and that is a part of it. And probably most of you all have a hostess program at church. And I believe that this is a tremendous ministry. And it is one that we ladies play a big part in. We need to do our best. And you know, sometimes your best is paper plates soup and sandwiches, and a buffet-style line, and that is perfectly fine. Other times, maybe your best is a table stretched with fine linens and china. It's just a little harder to make people feel comfortable in those settings, but it's okay. It can be done. Um, so I, I guess I would say just do what you can with what you have. Everything does not need to be perfect when you open your home to guests. 
Don't assume that if your house and food isn't up to someone else's standard that you can't do it. I've, I've heard some people say, well, my house is just too small. I just can't handle my much company. Well, we've had lunches in very small houses with buffet lines and sitting in the living room wherever we could find a place to sit, maybe even on the floor. And the hospitality was wonderful. Um, and we've even had, you know, you might say, well, cooking is not my strong point. That's okay. We've even been at places before out of state where I think the one meal I remember that the lady, every last thing was bought. She hadn't made a thing. And it was delicious and it was wonderful. It's fine. So, but we do invite company over and we do make our food sometimes, don't we? So what are some tips? Make food ahead and freeze whatever you can. Make lists. Make a, make a list of your menu and things that need to be made. Don't try new recipes. <laughs> Invite a wide variety of people of different age groups. This is how you learn to know people together. I think that one is so important. Different age groups. Don't just always hang out with your friends who you're the most comfortable with. You will find out that you can be comfortable with many different people when you branch out. <clears throat> Clean your house if you're able to, but if you can't get everything done, that is okay. Your guests probably won't notice anyway, and if they do, that will probably instantly make them feel really comfortable in your home. So, and remember, if they're comfortable, you're going to be comfortable, and it's just going to be a pleasant time together. Try to make it simple and easy. Everyone is hungry for Sunday lunch, and it's nice to have food that can be served in a timely manner. Let the guests help with meal preparation and cleanup. This makes everybody feel relaxed. But I would say my husband loves to stay seated around the table. So this cleanup thing is kind of, <laughs> because he says that is the best conversation, and it is, and that's okay too. They don't, your guests don't have to help with cleanup. <clears throat> when something goes wrong with the food, just stay calm. Someone said, laugh, and make the best of it. <clears throat> I remember one time, I think, we, our oldest was six weeks old, and I was hostess. And I wasn't very old, and it, this was kind of scary at this point. And it was time to make gravy. And my grandma Showalter was there that day. And to this day, I do not know what happened. But the broth was boiling, and I went to pour the batter in, and it, the broth literally exploded. Like Old Faithful in my kitchen, just <laughs> boom. And it was just on the stove, all over the place. And anyway, cleaned it up, tried to do it again, the same thing happened. It happened twice. And if, I don't know if, how many of you all knew my grandma, but this was hilarious to her. But anyway, I look back on that, and I, look, I had to look in my guest book. I thought this, I remembered what she wrote, and she did. This is what she wrote. She said, thank you for the de delicious meal. And then in big, bold capital letters, she wrote, good gravy. <laughs> 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 a 
And you know, it was not very much fun at the time, but I can look back at that now and be like, it makes for a pleasant memory. If everything goes wrong, if something goes wrong, just laugh. Here's another tip. This was a quote from a mother of small children. Feel free to have peace to bring a side dish, and we cover the main dish and dessert. Everyone offers to help and are glad to bring a dish, and it takes a lot of work off of the hostess. And I already said this before. It's okay to buy some already prepared foods if you need to. Somebody said that Costco cheesecakes are delicious, and they make a really special dessert, and they feed a lot of people. Another tip is be flexible and improvise when necessary. So one of the members of our church, I won't say who, but he drives a bus for chorus groups. Need I say any more? His wife told me this story. They were driving, they were shuttling the chorus around to different areas and they arrived at this church. And for some reason, the ladies of that church did not realize that they were supposed to feed this chorus. But she said, till they were done singing, there was a beautiful meal of Subway sandwiches, chips, not sure what else, but there was a beautiful meal made in a very small amount of time. They improvised and did what they could, and it made a lovely memory. So what about when company stops into your house unexpectedly? Um, we live in a short lane. I, I don't have time for anything. You stop in my house, you're going to see us as we are. And I can guarantee you this, panicking does no good. Um, <laughs> if someone drops into your house and finds you in less than the ideal state, that's okay. Don't apologize. They probably weren't expecting you to find, to find you in company having mode anyway. And you know, just go ahead and make some hot tea or make some coffee or grab some cookies out of the freezer if you're lucky enough to have any in there. Or cheese and crackers, or just whatever. And just stop. Just stop. Sit down with them and just enjoy your break in the middle of the day. Um, someone from our church said that she learned from a Laotian family that you should offer a drink for the very first thing when someone stops by. These times like this make for the best conversation. I have a friend who's single and she stops in sometimes and she knows that she can stay as long as she wants and I will just keep doing whatever I'm doing before she was arrived and depending on what's going on, I might just put her to work, but it's fun. Um, and in regards to unexpected company, don't be so scheduled that you miss these golden opportunities, these golden surprises that pop into your life. Take advantage of them and enjoy them. What are some other ways that we can show hospitality? What about babysitting? Um, you know, mothers need babysitters sometimes. We have done some babysitting in our house and we have found that it's really good for our adolescent, teenagers, whatever, to babysit. It's a good thing. I kind of like to, I, I just kind of enjoy it. I like to pour so much into them. It kind of does me good when they cry when they leave. Parents don't like it, but I kind of do. <laughs> Another thing is teach your children hospitality. 
And I don't really know how other than just do it yourself. Be a hospitable person yourself. And I think back over our life, we went through a stage, and I'm not really sure why. It's not as much that way anymore. I don't know. Anyway, but we went through a stage, and a lot of people stopped by our house just for random reasons. I mean, it could be church key. That's not too random. We've even had some somebody stop for a bathroom break. They needed the bathroom. Um, sometimes it's just neighbors on a walk, and you're outside, and you get to chatting, and kind of morphs into a campfire supper or pancakes and sausage gravy, whatever. And I remember back when that was happening a lot, one of our daughters said, I wonder who's going to stop by today. I just love our life. <laughs> Probably something I needed to hear. Um, so when your children become adults and they live at your house, let them express their hospitality. Make sure they are free within reason to invite someone to your table for Sunday lunch or some youth over. Um, that's happened a good bit at our house. We've come home from church before and there's girls sitting around our table eating cereal because that's all they could find, I guess. I remember one time, I don't remember where what we did or where we were at, but Philip and I had went one direction, our children had went another direction, and it was a weekday. And I came home, well, let me back up. When we left the house, supper was all over the kitchen. The clothes were dried and brought in, but thrown all over the couches. You, you get the drift, very lived-in house. I came home and there was a whole bunch of cars in the driveway. I was tempted to panic, but anyway, walked in the house, and one of the youth girls was sitting on our living room floor, and I walked in and made eye contact with her, and she said, Hi, Myrna, welcome. Your house makes me feel right at home. I won't say who that girl was, but it blessed me, and I felt like, and actually, I felt like maybe she showed hospitality to me. But just let it happen sometimes. It's okay. They don't care. We are real people, and they need to, our youth need to see that, that we are real. <clears throat> also, when your children's friends are at your house, it's an excellent time to learn to know them and interact. It keeps you in the loop of your adult children's life a little bit more. So, what can hinder our calling to hospitality? And some of these were given, too. A lot of them were, and it was amazing how many of them were the same. Number one, pride. Insecurity. Keeping up with the Joneses. If we were to admit it, probably for all of us, there's someone that intimidates us. It makes us feel like we're not a good enough housekeeper, cook, landscaper, whatever. And we just feel like we can't host that person, and that's a shame. Because that person probably has no idea that's how you feel about them. Or I hope they don't. <laughs> um, and they would probably be horrified to know that that's how you feel. Just go ahead and invite that person to your house. It, an invitation means so much. And it, it usually just breaks the ice. It takes care of that. And the older I get, the more I realize we just all struggle with the same things. We all have our corners of the house where it's less than ideal. 
and it's just okay. Um, let's be aware and keep our homes simple and food easy so that people are comfortable at our house. Remember, I don't think there's anybody here today that wants to be the Jones in the community. I recently came across a quote that I feel fits real nicely here. Comparison will make you feel either superior or inferior. Neither honors God. And what about selfishness or self-centeredness? Does that hinder our hospitality? It's I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it mentality. I think it is a huge hindrance to true, simple hospitality. What about the influence of the internet? We all realize it. Um, we are aware, most of us here today, of the different platforms on social media and what they put out there for you. And it can really pressure our life, maybe in a subtle way, but it can if we let it. Um, it can, this pressure can lead to discontentment, insecurity, and then we think, I can't have anyone see my house, and this is a shame. And we need to remember that the impressions that we are led to believe coming from the internet are not accurate, guaranteed. You're only seeing what that person wants you to see. Everything else is carefully edited out, whether it's a video or a podcast. <clears throat> um, you do not know that person in real life. But to balance things out, I do use the internet some. I consult it for recipes sometimes, for craft ideas, garden ideas, and it, it can be helpful in reaching out to people. But be very, very careful um, around the 1st of March, actually, somebody posted this writing on WhatsApp, and I want to share it with you today. It, it just describes my feelings to a T on this subject. And I quote, Ladies, we are thinking of our homes all wrong. Social media has changed our perceptions of how houses should look. Our houses were never intended to be perfectly curated with seamless aesthetics and luxe finishes at every turn. Our house isn't a museum, it's a tool, a tool for ministry. Our houses are working houses, not museum exhibits. They nurse the sick, welcome the strangers, and feed families. For the Christian, the house is an extension of the church. A house with happy children will have a few toys on the floor. A kitchen that provides home-cooked meals will have dishes in the sink and food on the counters. Houses that are lived in look, well, lived in. You have a lot more peace in this life when you understand and accept that your house is meant to work and doesn't have to be insta-worthy to be hospitable. Your house is for serving the Lord and serving others. So put your house to work. Don't wait for special occasions to use your nice things. Don't fret about the laundry pile if someone shows up unannounced. Dirty the counters with home-cooked meals. Let your children play with their toys. Enjoy your house, ladies. No amount of shiplap, boho decor, or black fixtures will ever compare to the beauty of using your house to serve the Lord. 
I encourage you not to let perfection you see on social media affect your contentment, nor make you self-conscious. A working house is the fruit of your hands. Keep a tidy house, yes, but use your home for fellowship and ministry. Mortify personal vanity that keeps you from glorifying the Lord with your home. It's end of quote. So I, this next thing I'm going to talk about here a little bit, I, I hesitate to say it's a hindrance. I don't really think it's the right word, but I think you know what I mean. Another reality that maybe keeps us from being as hospitable as we maybe like to be could be our health or our family's health. Um, maybe you have a handicapped child. And, you know, that is okay. That is your calling. That is your ministry. And yielding to God's will and maintaining a Christian testimony through these circumstances speaks so much louder than a china-laden table surrounded by the friends you love. Someone has said, hospitality is loving those who God has set beside us today. If that is simply caring for your family, that is enough. And if we are dealing with health issues, as long as we have a sound mind, we can always pray for others. There's always something you can do for others. And really, prayer is one of the greatest acts of hospitality. When we experience these downtimes in our lives, we need to be a gracious receiver to other people's hospitality. Also, we need to remember that when you experience health problems, you are more able to extend hospitality to others in situations of the like. And I thought of some special maybe different ways that hospitality has been shown to us. And we have an Airbnb, and one time somebody rented it, and we could tell by their names that they were probably from a different country. They were from North Carolina, but probably originally had been from a different country. And sure enough, they wanted to know if we had a grill. I said, yes, we did. And so they came, and Philip got a phone call after they came and said, would you and your wife please come down for supper tonight? I'm like, sure. So we walked down to our own house, knocked on the door, and they graciously welcomed us in. And they were from Afghanistan. And he had grilled leg of lamb. And in the middle of the table, there was this platter-style dish kind of thing. And, and it was lined with the Mediterranean flat bread. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. And then through the middle of that bread was chunks of lamb meat that had been grilled and soft drinks. And that was our meal. And we sat down. We had no, we had no um, forks or spoons. You just simply tore off a piece of bread. And with that bread, you reached in and grabbed a hunk of meat and, and ate it. It was a blessing. Um, we heard their story. And they told us about life in Afghanistan. And we were blessed that day by their hospitality at our own house. And then I also had to think about when we went to visit Daniel and Joetta in Jordan and Rachel and the rest of the team there, Joetta took me to her neighbor who lived in the same apartment complex. And this lady was a Syrian refugee, I think. I should have maybe checked with Joetta for sure on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right there. Anyway, the house was furnished, but not, you know, not anything excessive. 
And we were sitting there on the couch, and Joanna and her were conversing in, in a different language. I wasn't understanding anything. But all of a sudden, that lady presented, brought from the kitchen, a silver tray with china, beautiful china cups of tea with crushed walnuts floating on the top. And gave it to us, set it on a stool in front of us, and it was our tea to drink. And I felt like a queen. I knew it was her best. And it just, I just felt very inspired. And like I said, I felt like a queen. Another thing that has happened to us about hospitality, and this is more recently, um, we had revivals here at Bank in March. We was blessed to have Josh Good. Had a wonderful week. And on the weekend, Josh was able to bring his wife and family up to stay, and they were staying at our Airbnb. It was a blessing. And I want to hasten to say, if you ever want to host a family that's going to keep your place clean and immaculate, I nominate Josh and Kim. They do a good, good job. Anyway, on Monday morning, after they left on Sunday evening, I received a text. And this is what the text said. Good morning. I would like to help you with Airbnb laundry today. I will bring it home and wash and return. And my immediate thought was like, well, well, I can do it. I mean, it's a while before the next people come. And well, and Philip said, let her do it. That is beautiful. She offered to do that. You let her do that. And I did, and I was blessed. It was just made me feel warm and cozy all day that somebody had that thought. So in conclusion, hospitality is one of the commandments that God has given to us, and it is the demeanor of the believer. And as a child of God, we cannot be neutral when it comes to hospitality. We need to be intentional to show hospitality to everyone we come in contact with, including everyone that lives in our home, whether through our deeds, prayer, or just a simple smile. The more hospitality is practiced, the more natural it becomes. Let's be useful vessels of him to work through us as we relate to those he brings into our lives. Recently, a 90-year-old older single lady passed away in our community. And we went to the viewing on Monday evening, and I was blessed hearing her nieces, great nieces, extended family, um, expressing their special memories that they had of Aunt Edie and the love that they felt from her. It just blessed me. And near her casket, there was a hand-stitched sampler stitched by Edith's mother, Stella, and I, when I saw it, I just knew I had to have a copy of this saying so I could share it with you today. Um, and it reads as follows. I will pass through this world but once. Any good that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Thank you. Well, we want to thank Myrna for that 
talk. She's given us lots and lots to think about and to remember as we go from here. The offering total for Michael and Cheryl Yoder was $7,033, and we thank you so much for sharing. Now, we're going to turn the service over to LaVon Miller, and she'll be in charge of the prayer groups. Oh, and then after your prayer group, just go straight to the basement, and lunch will be ready for you. So just as each group gets finished, you can go downstairs. <laughs> 